Hi everyone, my name is Sarah Wertheimer and we are a bunch of summer Beat Me Drosh fellows learning with Rabbi Clapper this summer and we are going to be discussing the first chapter of Rabbi Clapper's will and human experience, exploration of the halachic system and its values. To introduce ourselves, um, if everyone could go around, say your name, where you're from, and what's one thing you would do if you weren't bound by halacha. Rivital, start us off. I'm Rivital, I live in Jerusalem. And if I weren't bound by halacha, I would taste all the foods in all the restaurants that I can't go to now. All right. Daniel, what about you? My name is Daniel. Um, and if I weren't bound by halacha, I would probably sort of similar to Rivital, but different. I would, whenever I'm on vacation, just never think about food and just be able to eat anything anywhere and not that be limiting in what kinds of vacations I can take. Mm, nice. All right, Akiva. If I weren't bound by halacha, I would spend my time um, getting very involved in Greek philosophy, which interests me, but I'm more committed to the halachic framework. Not surprising. <laughs> <laughs> very classical answer. All right, um, Rina? Um, if I weren't bound by halacha, when I got asked that question, the first thing that came to my head is getting a tattoo. Um, but then I realized I also don't really like um, ruining the human body, so I'm not sure if that's the best one. Um, yeah. And Rina, where are you from? And I'm from Boston. Cool. And I already introduced myself a little bit, but I'm Sarah. I'm from Brookline. And if I wasn't bound by halacha, again, kind of similar to the food at the beginning, but it's just I would go out with uh, non-Jewish friends to restaurants that they're going out for dinner, for drinks, whatever, just chill. Okay, so we read this chapter um, in the beginning of Rabbi Clapper's book, and I want to hear, like, what what do you guys find cool? What were your takeaways? What what do you think people should know about? Daniel, yeah. Um, so, so um, this was not pre-rehearsed at all. <laughs> not we at did all. not plan out this podcast <laughs> at, at all. all. There's no whiteboard telling us what comes next. <laughs> um, so I, for me, the, the really um, strange thing about this chapter, um, which is about freedom and uh, halacha, is that uh, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't think, given the conversation that we were just having about um, the ways that halacha sort of restricts our lives, and if we weren't, we use the word bound by halacha, if we weren't bound by halacha, what would we do? So it sounds like halacha is something that for a lot of us is very restricting, even if, even if we find it very meaningful in a way to order our lives. But Rabbi Clapper really, I think, takes seriously um, the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot, where Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi says um, about the Pasuk, that the tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God, Harut, engraved upon the tablets. But the Mishnah says, Altikra Harut ela Cherut. Don't read it as charut, which means engraved, but cherut, freedom. Because there is people who are the only free people are those who are engaged in the study of Torah. And Rabbi Clapper really sort of seems to expand that to not only people who are studying Torah, but anybody who's involved in the world of Torah and mitzvot more generally. Um, I don't know if I agree with that expansion, but for Rabbi Clapper, it's a really... I think formative text for understanding that somehow we have to grapple with this idea of 
Torah and freedom, not just because we're imposing our 21st century sensibilities and our American or Western ideology of um, freedom and individualism onto um, our tradition, but rather because it's actually in our tradition itself. And one of our main ethical texts says apparently that this is supposed to be a system that um, not only increases freedom, but is indispensable for freedom. And that is really weird to me. Huh. Yes, I agree. Um, and I think, Rivital, you were saying or that you wanted to talk about uh, how we could possibly explain that. Like, how could it be, really, that the halakhic system and freedom jive together if we, we think that halakha is more, like, restrictive on our freedom? Right. So Rabbi Clapper, in his chapter, speaks about a distinction between freedom from and freedom to. Basically, what he's saying is that um, freedom is not one thing that you either have more freedom or less freedom, but there are different types of freedom. Um, have freedom from um, other people or institutions or whatever that um, bind me, and also freedom to do things. So I'll give you a few examples, um, right? If you're in a classroom and you have total freedom from, you're not bound to any rules, then you'll just yell whatever you want and you know everyone will say whatever they want. They'll be able to do whatever they want, but no one will actually learn anything. There won't be communication. So you don't have real freedom to have a serious conversation or learn something new, um, right? If uh, we had freedom from the law, then anyone could take whatever they want from anyone else. It wouldn't be stealing. It would just be taking because you're allowed to take whatever you want. But then you wouldn't have freedom to ownership or to privacy. Um, I'll give a couple examples from halakha as well, um, right? On Shabbat, um, on the one hand, you have um, freedom from your employer. Um, so you don't have to listen to what your employer does. Um, so that's, tells you to do. Or, well, sorry, your employer tells, tells you, you to do. do. Um, right. Um, but you're also limited in what you can do. Um, there's so many halachot of things we can't do on Shabbat. Um, and I think what's really special is that um, he talks about um, God in creation limiting his own freedom from, right? Before creation, God was alone in the universe, could do whatever he wanted. He was not bound by anyone or anything. Uh, and creating humans gives him this um, this group of people that he's, he's bound to and that he has to do things for. But it expands his freedom too. He has many more options of communication and relationship. Um, and I thought that was a really nice idea. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that Akiva wanted to talk about about, you know, you just talked about how God at the beginning was, you know, by God's self and could have total freedom from, but no freedom to. There was no other, you know, meaningful entity with which to form relationship. And I think that that was similar to something, Akiva, that you wanted to talk about. Um, yes. So I think there's living in the modern world, which has basically taken away the concept of God it's very it's a very um it's a very foreign for religious people whose one of the primary um interactions that they have with beings is their interaction with god um and that interaction with god places on it these limits which we're talking about for for people living a halakhic lifestyle um it's very disorienting living in a society with such with with concepts about human autonomy which are very antithetical to the the concepts on 
the concepts on human behavior, which um, which halacha prescribes. Um, and I think Rabbi Clapper, in writing his piece, is putting up putting up a defense for the fact that the halachic framework, with its limits, actually still has something to say in the modern world. Um, and he's encouraging his readers to grapple with it and understand that they really, his religious readers, that they really have something of value and maybe can communicate that to the world at large. Yeah, so I think, you know, what you're getting at is I think what I was most interested in in the chapter, which is uh, that it's not necessarily the case that uh, freedom is a zero-sum game and you can increase freedom in the world. So it's not always that, you know, Ravi Talad is lots of great examples about freedom from and freedom to, and it seems like you're always kind of trading them off and how limited can you be and other people around you, but that maybe there are ways in which actually by either limiting yourself or by not limiting yourself, you can increase the overall freedom of all the people in your society, whether you're like adding up each people's individual freedom or there's some sense of like societal freedom, that there's a way to increase that. And I think that Rabbi Clapper is positing at least that that the halachic system is a system in which, you know, that is, must be the case, uh, that it really increases freedom, at least on a communal level, even if not on an individual level, whether uh, whether or not you, you feel that way. Um, and I think that one of the key things that he brings up where he says this really must be the case is that we make such, such a big deal about Yitziat Mitzrayim um, in Judaism. It's one of the like key, huge stories in, in the Torah. And it comes before Har Sinai. We're let out of Egypt. And, you know, you got to assume that uh, letting an entire nation out of slavery is increasing freedom in the world. And that this is like the first big act that Hashem does for us as a nation. And so then our halachic framework that we get at Har Sinai, uh, one of, you know, the, to me, the most, one of the most powerful lines in, in the chapter is uh, about looking at the halachic system through the lens of saying, okay, look, this is the God all the time for many different mitzvah we say, this is the God that took us out of Mitzrayim and he's commanding us to do X. And so that we really have to view it that way and think, okay, if God really has freedom of this such huge thing, then what does that mean and how we should be thinking about the mitzvot and, and what they do overall? Um, and I think, you know, you wanted to talk about, like, at the end of the chapter, a line that you felt really resonated with you or you thought was cool. Yeah. Um, Rabbi Clapper's line that, Ein ben Torah el sek becherut, that there is no student of Torah except for somebody who's occupied with freedom. I really like that line because it's a spin on Perkei Avot, the Perkei Avot line. The one that Daniel referenced the, at the beginning, yeah. Yeah, the one we saw earlier. Um, and it's just cool that Rabbi Clapper like, wrote his own like continuation of a Perkei Avot line, um, kind of like, in a way, like song lyrics, like putting your own spin on things. Um, and freedom, I think, is a really big part of Torah. So I would agree with Rabbi Claffer on that line, actually. So that's all. OK, guys, so after all this, do you feel that halacha is less freeing or more freeing? 
We're a little stuck. Maybe you guys have an idea. Text 1-800-RABBI-CLOCK. <laughs> <laughs> Or don't, not. T- don't text 1-800-RABBI-CLOCK. <laughs> we do not have the rights to that number. Um, but, you know, what you can do is buy the book, read the chapter for yourself. There's definitely things you probably maybe misunderstood or left out and, and see what you think and, and, you know, have real real thoughts about why you think this might be the case or might not be the case. One teaser thing, like I read the chapter and I thought there's something really big missing here. You know, we God took us out of Mitzrayim. It seems like very high emphasis, slavery must be bad. Uh, but we have this concept of an Eved Kanani, and it's always baffled me how What is an Eved Kanani? Thanks, Daniel. <laughs> um, that's a great question. And, you know, uh, I have previously heard it explained as just, uh, you know, a slave or a servant that that uh, that is th- that someone has that's a non-Jew and that for some reason this slave or servant never goes free unlike you know we have the concept of Evet Ivri of a Jewish more of like an indentured servant and we have lots of limits and rules about that but we have an Evet Kanani that seems to never go free and how could it possibly be the case that the same God that took us out of Mitzrayim is saying oh yeah but you can have you can have this type of, of slavery, and that always baffled me. So, you know, brought this up to Rabbi Clapper after reading his, his book chapter. And he actually, you know, brought up a Gemara uh, where an Eved Kanani is freed. And, you know, it's one of these maybe relatable situations where down the block, they only have nine for a minion. Like, they just really need a tenth. Luckily, happens to be one of the rabbis has an Eved Kanani around. They're like, oh, amazing, let's free the Eved Kanani. What happens when you free an Eved Kanani is that they become a full-fledged Jew. Um, and now you have a minion. And so this was, first of all, a story in the Gemara I had never seen. And uh, Rabbi Clapper then, you know, developed a thesis, which he feels, uh, he sees, you know, uh, threads of in, in Halacha that and halakhic thought in writing that an Eved Kanani is really a practiced Jew and you know the only way to free them is through is through some mitzvah purpose so in this case it was you know making a minion but it's not that oh it happens to be there's this loophole of the only way to free them is this but that's the exact point that the real like ikar the main part of being a Jew is having lived through Yitzhak Mitzrayim we have this whole Pesach story of uh, that every you know every year we try to see ourselves as if we were really freed um, by Hashem, and that that's what it means to be a Jew. And so, and so uh, for an Eved Kanani, you free them because of a mitzvah, because of Hashem, so that they are really part of that experience of being freed by God. Um, and that you know completely, first of all, changed my view of of. Um, what an Evan Kanani was, and I feel like, you know, really gave this idea that freedom and halacha are very, very closely tied, much more a room to stand as an idea. Yeah, Daniel, what do you want to say? I wonder if we could get Rabbi Clapper to somehow come on the podcast next time, because I have a lot of questions based on what we've been talking about this time that I think that maybe, maybe we could try to answer together, but um, I wonder if the man himself would be willing to come on. 
um, because I, I guess like I, I have a lot of I have a lot of issues with the idea of freedom being a core concept in halacha. I think it's attractive in some ways, but also um, I guess two core core questions that I have are: firstly, he seems to rely he he seems to uh, you know admit that you can't see freedom from the, what we would usually intuitively think of freedom as, you know, being free of external pressure. You can't really see that kind of freedom as um, fundamental to halacha, at least in a full sense. And so he switches to sort of a, well, there's also freedom to do things. But I, I'm wondering if Rabbi Clapper or somebody else in the meantime could explain why the word freedom is actually the best word to use for freedom too. Is it really freedom or is it something that's more like opportunity or ability. Why do we use the word freedom when describing freedom too? And is it just an apologetic, a way to say that Judaism does believe in freedom when really it's just a way to say other things with the word freedom, but really those other words like opportunity or ability or something else is more is a more accurate way to say it? Yeah, Rena, please. I have an answer. Um, for so much of history, Jewish people were not free to keep the Torah. Um, for example, in the former Soviet Union, where my parents immigrated from, they just, if they wanted to learn Torah, they couldn't because that was illegal and there was no, they could not go to a bookstore and buy a Torah. Um, so, and that's not unique to the former Soviet Union. We see that in Spain with the Inquisition and so many other examples. So I think maybe Rabbi Clapper is using that word for that reason. Um, that sounds, that sounds a little bit different to me, though, because that sounds like it's not that the rules of the Torah are rules of freedom, but rather that the rules of the Torah are something. And there are also governments that don't allow people to do whatever the thing is that they want to do. And it's the government that's restricting somebody's freedom from, right? Freedom in the sense that I would say is the intuitive sense of the word, which is not being allowed to do something, right? Being restricted from doing something. So the government was restricting freedom to, sorry, yeah. the government was restricting freedom from, doesn't necessarily prove that the Torah is freedom to. It just means it's something that they wanted to do. I think, I think you're raising a good point, Daniel, um, that Rabbi Clapper is trying to redefine how we think about freedom. Um, it definitely, what the, the, Torah's, the Torah's conception of what, or really God's conception of what the free human being is, um, is not the, the man or woman with unlimited capacity for action of the secular world, but it's somebody who is free to live the right kind of life as determined by God. So, and that's, I think, what Rabbi Clapper is trying to make, the point that Rabbi Clapper is trying to make. Yeah, Akiva, I think that that's definitely an interesting take on it. Um, for me, I think why I, I definitely agree, Daniel, that it feels like a move to redefine freedom that way. But I think when you think of why you want freedom, you want freedom because you want to do something. And so you, you, you're thinking of freedom as like an external pressure stopping you from doing the thing you want. But what, like, and I, so I see, but you know, if what if what's stopping you is that there's no one else in the world like you? Or what if what's stopping you is the fact that you have to go to work? Or what if what's stopping you is the fact that you just don't have a community that where you have meaningful relationships and so you don't have the freedom to daven all together 
you know, in a group that feels meaningful to you because you just don't have that group or you're not meeting, there's no way for you to meet at that time. So I guess that's why for me, uh, this category of freedom too feels like real freedom. Yeah, Ravitaal, what did you want to add? There's an interesting metaphor that I think might help us uh, think about uh, restrictions adding freedom. Um, and it talks about kids playing soccer on a roof. Um, and if, you know, the roof uh, is just like a regular, you know, like a flat roof and they're playing soccer, um, but there's no wall stopping anyone from falling off the roof, then they'll play soccer only very close to the middle. So technically, nothing's restricting them, uh, right? They have the whole roof, but they're only going to use a little bit of it. But then if you use a, put a fence around the roof, suddenly they'll be using a lot more of the roof because they'll feel that that restriction is actually adding to their freedom. I'm not sure exactly how to use that metaphor. Sarah? Yeah, so this, uh, uh, I, I don't think this is necessarily uh, the direction Rabbi Clapper was going, but um, I do remember reading an excerpt from to be so binding on you is that it frees you from these other, from these other binds, basically. Um, and that, and that exactly by that, by like, do, by, by having these like fences, you feel safe that you can expand within these bounds. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure if it's exactly the same as your soccer metaphor. I don't really think so, but it's another idea to throw into the mix. Yeah, Daniel. So I, I wanted to say two things to respond. I think that, first of all, I just, I think that in reality, it's not always how it works. When, for example, let's say in times in 100 years ago or so in this country when people were often fired if they wouldn't work on Shabbat, it doesn't seem to me that we could, we could say that um, halacha freed people from having to work on Shabbat. But the, I think the lived experience of a lot of people is that they didn't feel like they had freedom. They just felt like they had two different competing obligations that made their life very difficult. Like it wasn't the fact that they weren't allowed to work on Shabbat because halacha... As, as you guys would say, maybe gave them freedom to rest on Shabbat. I guess that's freedom, but in the, I guess the most, again, the most intuitive sense of the word freedom of not having restrictions and especially the way that freedom often um, relates to autonomy. The way that we use freedom in the modern world often relates to autonomy, I guess. And that brings me to my second point, which is that if we imagine, I think that maybe my point could come out easier if we imagine a religion that's different from our own religion. So anybody can choose to imagine any religion that they know of or just make up a religion. Um, that religion has some really strange and sort of antisocial demands on its adherence. Let's say that we create a, somebody creates a religion, some cult leader creates a religion and says that everybody has to move away from their families and their friends and move to this desert island and do all sorts of strange rituals all day. But he sells it on the fact that it gives the people freedom. And I think that cult leaders often employ language like this, you know, like you were actually stuck in your chains in society and now I'm going to free you. That's like a very, it seems to me a very common and somewhat dangerous um, kind of way to think about freedom because again, if we dissociate it from our own religion that we in this room all love, which is Judaism and feel really intimately connected to and think about how this word could be used maybe with us on the outside observing some other religious leader using this word, it feels like you can just redefine freedom too as whatever I'm asking you to do, you wouldn't have the ability to do that if you didn't listen to me. So therefore it's freedom. 
and it just feels like sophistry. It feels like you're just playing with words to create a sen sense of obedience. Does that make more sense the way, the way that I'm saying it? Yeah. yeah, so I I think it, it I think it's changed a little bit, but I think, you know, it's it's definitely a coherent thought. Um, to me, the uh, you know, the I think we we have this line, Ella Ben Khorin Alamisho Batora and we we wanna figure out how that's true. And but then I think at the end of the day, like we also have have the line that Rena thought was so powerful of Rabbi Clapper's thing at the end of In Bantura Alamisho Sake Bikirut and this idea that like you know, it's that freedom is not just a key word that we're using and throwing around, but that it's really something that we should be working towards. And, you know, maybe maybe I'd, I'd be going too far and I don't want to put, you know, ideas in Robert Clapper's mouth, but not not just that necessarily halacha, you know, does increase freedom in the world and society at large, but that halacha should increase um, freedom in society in the world at large and that, you know, it's just a you keep talking about lived experience, so it's just a lived experience that you're always running into these differences between your freedom, someone else's freedom, how you navigate those boundaries, how you navigate things that you want to create uh, as opposed to things you don't want to experience and like that halakha should and can and will hopefully, that's right Hashem, be like a way of channeling that. Um, yeah. But Ruby, uh, Rina wanted to add something. Okay, so I just wanted to say that I think the Torah is also often countercultural. Um, for example, in our society today, in America, a lot of people acknowledge the problem of like being on your phone all the time and kind of feeling like a slave to your phone or to social media. And the Torah could possibly free us from that. Um, and there are other problems in society as well, like, you know, oppression is still a problem in certain circles, like maybe in America less so, hopefully. Um, you know, chauvinism is still a problem uh, in our society, from what I've seen. And hopefully the Torah can enable people to really think about other people and be sensitive to them, and that's also a form of, of freedom to, you know, not just go along with what the society is doing. Yeah, I mean, I think that the Torah is often, has often been countercultural, and there's like, I forget the source, but the idea of Avraham Ha'ivri, it might be something in Hasidut about Ivri, Aver, the other me side. Me'ever Lanahar. Me'ever Lanahar, etc. Um, the idea of, there's always, um, my wife hates this, but... Um, there's always something. There's always something counter. There's often something countercultural about Torah, and I find that really powerful. And I also think that counter. I, I'm skeptical about the idea of freedom because it seems just so connected to certain like Western ideas, modern Western ideas of autonomy that I don't think are really native to the Torah. But countercultural, or yeah, counterculturalism seems like something that the Torah is, and also freedom of, of, as counterculturalism might deal with. Uh, the cult analogy a little bit better because if the Torah is trying to make people be countercultural, it's also trying to make them usually think critically. Um, and you can't really like everyone who's like trying to be cool and countercultural um, re realizes that at a certain point in their life, they've gotten into a community of hipsters. That's just all the same. And they're like all 
countercultural in the same, they've created their own culture. Um, and I think that the Torah, um, yeah, I think the, the, that your point of, of freedom as counterculturalism um, is a way to prevent groupthink um, and going easily along with, with trends. Yeah, so I like that. And I also wanted to respond. I, I don't think I'm not. Yeah. Oh, um, that I was trying to respond to your point before by trying to think about um, America and what the word freedom in Torah could mean to somebody living in America today, where kind of there's so much freedom right. seemingly and autonomy. Because because I come from the family that I come from. My parents always talk about... Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure, yeah. My parents uh, immigrated from the former Soviet Union after both of them, both my parents and my grandparents, um, experiencing anti-Semitism uh, growing up. It was just like a normal thing in Russian society that there was anti-Semitism, not only from people and peers in school, but also university professors would like... Um, you know, be anti-Semitic to individual like 17 year olds. I think that's when my dad applied to college and that was considered totally legal, like that was normal. And so, yeah, I hear about these things, like I never grew up like that, but hear about these things and I think, oh, and plus I visited uh, Russia before and um, I don't think I ever experienced anti-Semitism there myself, but but um but yeah i i visited a lot and i heard stories and so i think because of that i at least heard stories about other countries where it's not necessarily everywhere in the world is the same as the where we're growing up today you know like till today in russia um i think there are anti-semitism is said to have gotten better um i still hear that especially the older generation is still very anti-semitic um and you know, you hear stories about like China and like all the oppression that's going on over there with like Tibet, um, China having taken over, um, occupied Tibet. Um, I'm not an expert on China, but that's what my, somebody from Tibet told me. And um, so I think for a lot of people, these types of question of like oppressive governments is still very relevant today. I think in America, we have to really think and analyze like, well, yeah, is Torah limiting our autonomy or not? Because I think many of my friends and peers and family might feel that way about the Torah at times. So to really think like, what really, you know, what really is true autonomy? Um, do we have to fit into our American society completely? Like, is it okay to, you know, not use a phone once a week on Shabbat? How does that limit us from, if all of our friends are not Jewish, most of them, we can't go to parties on Shabbat. We can't go to the same work, business, um, parties with like drinking and restaurants as everybody else. So that might feel like it's limiting us. So why would somebody want to keep the Torah in that case? And I think that's a good question. So I was trying to think how, what the answer to that is. And I started thinking, okay, yes, maybe we don't have full autonomy in that way, like our peer Americans do, but maybe we can um, bring another perspective and say, well, you know, having being on the phone 24-7, seven days a week uh, is probably worse than six days a week. So maybe at least one day of not being kind of enslaved to our phones and computers could help us know that there is a way to not be enslaved by technology. 
I really appreciate both those points. I really appreciate the, the being aware of our co of our context and that it's not that the res the um, the clear emotional resonance of Torah as freedom might be hard for me, but I was also born in the U.S. in the 1990s, and that like the very simple idea of freedom to practice your religion is something that for other people in other contexts might just be like obvious in a way that it's not for me, and that's a really good point. And then second of all, the idea. Um, the idea you were talking about about smartphones, I think, is a really interesting um, way to put it. That the Torah, again, I might not think that freedom is the best word to describe my relationship with Torah, but um, it's certainly even I would have to think about my own life and think that it certainly at least has consequences that make me feel free at certain points. Um, so even if that's not the primary way that I relate to my avodat Hashem or to my relationship with Torah, yeah. it's certainly at least on a affects level, it does affect a certain sense of um, being able to do what I want to do certain times. Yeah. yeah, I really liked when you used the words like as, so maybe the freedom that we're talking about here is closer to counterculturalism than the like autonomy, complete autonomous freedom um, that we usually think of in America. And I think that's definitely the freedom from Freedom 2 point that Ruby Tal was talking about earlier. And, uh, and I think that like it really is true that you just don't realize the extent to which you really are bound by social norms in whatever society you live in. And so therefore like, you know, and uh, so maybe like being Osik Batora, you were saying maybe, you know, if we want to take even the smaller meaning of Osik Batora as people literally who are like studying Torah as opposed to just anyone in the halachic system. So maybe that's like the goal if you're trying to figure out like what is really really the right thing to do in this case not what's the norm in my society what can I get away with what is like everyone around me saying is the right thing to do or oh but just do it anyways like it's fine it's like no like let's actually think like you said think critically try to figure out what is the real thing to do and maybe halacha gives us that breathing room from society to be able to say no, like we are really thinking about it and actually this. I think that gets more complicated when our societies are our societies and our sort of conceptual worlds for many of us in the Orthodox world is built by halacha. Meaning I think that what you're talking about makes a lot of sense when you think about like a otherwise modern citizen of a Western state who like their conceptual and social framework is that and then sort of halacha can be a way for freedom just in as much as it challenges assumptions. But what happens when we have really robust, strong Orthodox communities that halacha guides those systems and ways of thinking such that you need to go against the system by challenging the halacha itself, you know? Like, yeah, so, so I think I, it totally depends on how, yeah. I'm not, like, I'm not super, arguing against no, like, no. strong Orthodox communities. No, 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 no. Saying, I like, think that's super important. And I guess I just, you know, maybe this is personally, you're currently in rabbinical school. I'm currently still at a secular college. And like, I think that for me in my life currently, even though, thank God, I really appreciate and love, you know, the communities I grew up in. I feel like I have a very strong, small, close-knit Orthodox community at MIT. I still feel immense pressure of the society around me, the college campus, like American Western values, like like it's not always obvious. Like sometimes that seems like the given to me and not halacha and, and it does really help me pull back. So I think again, it's kind of like just how much you are, but I think you're right that, that and maybe that's, you know, 
that's the pull at the end. That's the switch, which says, like, if, if this is the goal, if we say that really halacha and Torah should be, is ultimately, truly freedom in this counter, uh, in this, like, freedom to be countercultural and to think beyond the norm way, then if you get too stuck in, sucked into the halacha, then that's not good and you should start be thinking about freedom. And that's the, the end of it. That's Ein Ventura El Like, if you're not really thinking about it, if you're just thinking, oh, you have the halachic system, I'm perfect Ventura, then, then you're right. You don't, you don't see it that way. Okay. Um, I just want to respond to Sarah's point that I think I agree in many ways and I think the Torah wants us to be critical thinkers like we already said and doesn't want us to be conformists or at least doesn't want us to practice the Torah just because that's what everybody else does because I think that that could really lead into cults because um, even even within you know Judaism there have been times where people don't think critically and you know just went along with something and it didn't always end well so I think yeah and especially in your example with like a religion on an island like that's what cult leaders say like we you know we had a bad experience let's say with American culture and so we're gonna we're gonna give you the true society maybe if you if you always didn't feel like you belong in American culture we're gonna give you an alternative and then that's how they use that to brainwash people so I think um, it's important to teach people that Torah shouldn't be about going along with peer pressure or going along with what our parents want us to do or something like that, but to really, like, each person should individually, like, think about things critically. So, I think a big difference between um, cults and Torah is that in a cult there's one leader, one way to do things, right? Like, one mentor. And in Halakha we have endless leaders, endless mentors, so many opinions and, and rabbis and... Um, Actually, um, when I was in like third grade or something, um, I asked my dad, shoot, I don't remember Pirkeva well enough, but <laughs> there's, um, in like the first few things of Pirkeva, they like show how it, um, it's a, it's a sitter. how, yeah, yeah, figure that out, <laughs> um, how halacha like went from generation to generation, right? Um, and like Moshe got it from Sinai and, and so on and so forth. And then there's um, one kind of weird Mishnah where it says, um, one second. Um, this it? episode has been brought to you by. Yeah. <laughs> um, read Rabbi Clapper's book. And the cover of his book is really, really good. Really awesome. It has a triangle on it. Oh, it's a prism. Fun. It has a prism. Prism. Yeah. So you have um, Shimon ben Shatach speaking. And then the next Mishnah is which is really weird because Shimon ben Shetach is one person. Um, and anyway, my dad has this whole thing about how like every Who's gener- your dad? Who are you? Oh, I'm Ravital. <laughs> my dad is Rabbi Ross Singer. Um, and uh, anyway, he like uh, says that after I asked him that question, like he thought about it and looked into it and he found this thing that like every generation of rabbis had two main people and like that those two people always had like these different worldviews and that like it was very important to always have like twos and so even though Shimon Ben Shetach like there specifically was like uh, one person um, it's like very important for the like lineage that it's never you get Torah from one person you always get Torah from like a multitude of people and I think maybe that adds to our freedom like the fact that it's not about 
one idea or one thing that binds you and we keep the machlokot in our system even after like the halach has been decided. And I think that's like a really important intrinsic part of halacha. I think it demonstrates the, the robustness of, this, of halacha itself that we are having a conversation about halacha. Meta. <laughs> it's not, well, it's not meta. That's cool. Um, it's, it's demonstrating that, that the, the halachic way of life is a very thoughtful one and very self-aware um, and doesn't leave any stone unturned, and, and that's the endeavor that we're currently engaged in. And I wanted to respond to Ravital's point that I think what you're saying is how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be that there is two opinions and like, but that's something I learned from you that like later on I'm going to make a Dvar Torah. First I was going to just quote one rabbi for my whole entire Dvar Torah and then I was like, yeah, like I like that idea that it shouldn't just be like one person that we're following because that could like feed into like some kind of... And that's why we're Something happy to we announce that the other head of SPN is. <laughs> Wait, I didn't hear that. Who was it? <laughs> we have to ask Rabbi Clapper, who his co-leader is. Well, I mean, he did very specifically bring us a sheer with someone saying the exact opposite of him. No, no, no. Yeah, we've true, had guest true. speakers all the time. Our supreme leader is benevolent. <laughs> <laughs> that might get cut. Uh, but also, I think there are times, like, in, you know, there are, definitely, there are, I used to live, I don't want to say where right now, but I used to live in a, um, a Jewish community that wasn't really like that. Like, everybody pretty much followed, like, one uh, perspective on things, and if you tried to do things differently, it was hard. It, was, it wasn't impossible. It wasn't a cult, I don't think, even though some people might call it that. Um, but it was like, I had a friend that, like, for example, would dress very differently than everybody else, but I always looked at her as like, wow, this is, like, a really strong person, like, very secure, like, she had a good family and everything. Like, she was a very secure person, but, like, most people didn't, feel like confident enough to just like dress differently than everybody else because there was some amount of like conformism conformism and like people would be like what? like they would like look at you or something a different way I don't know give you looks and uh, so I think yeah there was a lot of things like that if you even talked about certain topics they would just look at you weirdly and so yeah that's we could be self-critical also and say we also want to be countercultural in our own Jewish culture as well um, so yeah and I guess I'll just you know quote one something that I think we've all heard uh, at this point Rabbi Clapper say a number of times which is when you're trying to, to say something general about the halakhic system you know it's been around so long there's so many people talking about all sorts of areas and things about it you know there's there might always be one one thing that doesn't that doesn't fit um, and it's important to see the general thrust of of what direction values uh, we we move in with uh, towards um, and and how we can do that. So thank you guys so much for listening. We could uh, continue discussing, but we hope that you will think about this, talk about it on your own, friends and family, maybe read the book, buy yourself a copy. Buy the book. <laughs> um, if you want to. And have a great day. Thanks for listening. The music in this video was cut from a track called The Balkan Night Train by Dieter van der Westen. 
More music from the artist can be found at a link provided in the podcast description.